welcome to our community of growth, healing, and hope found in the resilience of others. Stories from producers to patriots to simply outstanding people. You will find inspiration in it all here on the Cutting Fences Podcast. And I'm your host, Kenny. So I, I have Jess and Glenn here with me today, which I love podcast interviews that I have more than one person on because the conversations just really roll a lot more smoothly and it's a lot of fun. Um, so I want to thank you both for being on here. I'll start by just letting you guys introduce yourself. And Jess, if you want to begin, that would be great. Sure. My name is Jessica Pendleton. I grew up on my family's ranch outside of Butte, Montana, kind of between Butte and Anaconda. And for the past four years, I was a teacher, and just recently I transitioned into the Food and Ag Development Center role at Headwaters RC&D in Butte. And when I first joined their team, I saw that there was this grant opportunity to apply for that would allow me to host a suicide prevention workshop. And I so I applied for that and got in contact with Glenn and Thankfully, he was available to be able to come to Butte to host one in Butte and one in Dillon on the next day. So the one in Butte will be Wednesday, November 16th, and the one in Dillon will be Thursday, November 17th. Great. Well, thank you for being here, Jess. And thank you, Glenn, for being here. And if you want to tell us a little bit about your, um, it sounds as though an extraordinary story uh, that you have, that would be wonderful. Well, thank you very much, uh, Kendra and Jess. Uh, I am. Uh, I grew up in the military, and uh, my dad was from central Minnesota, kind of in rural Minnesota. And when he retired from the Army, I was just in middle school, and so went from being an Army brat to living out in the country and having to take the bus to, uh, to middle school. And uh, from there, I, I, I grew up and uh, was in the Army for 30 years, uh, where I was an active duty Army chaplain and uh, had the privilege of serving in a lot of different units and serving in combat and, uh, and then being a pastor, basically. That's what a chaplain does. But also a chaplain is kind of a, like a social worker, too. You know, the soldiers will come and say, I'm not very religious chaplain, but... And then they'll just talk to you. So after 30 years, I retired in 2011 and um, came to work for Living Works. And Living Works is an international suicide intervention training company um, that is headquartered just above you all in Calgary. But we are all over the world. We have offices in Europe, Australia, the U.S., and I've been working uh, basically to train skills, people, how to talk to somebody uh, if they're struggling with thoughts of suicide. And uh, my experience kind of grew out of when I was at the Pentagon in charge of policy development and training for all of our, at that time, 2,800 chaplains and chaplains assistants. And so wow. that's kind of my focus now, which is another chapter of life. But I am right now speaking to you from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I just trained a bunch of chaplains and a bunch of soldiers, paratroopers, in how to talk to their friends and their, their fellow uh, paratroopers if they're struggling with thoughts of suicide. Wow. 
Well, I want to thank you for being here. Um, but more importantly, I want to thank you for your service um, in the military. <clears throat> it's very much appreciated. And I'm sure that the lives that you have already touched um, is outstanding. But then you continue to do so and continue to serve others in a very significant way. So thank you for that. Um, it's, it's very amazing to me. And I've really done some reflecting lately that this podcast um, I really started doing all this to serve the populations that I truly, truly love and, uh, and appreciate and to create a space for them to get on and tell their stories. And since doing that, it's really opened a door for other organizations doing amazing things to reach out and be on my podcast as well, which has opened my eyes to the amazing things that people are doing in our state and in surrounding states to serve others. So I'm ha so happy to have you guys on here and so grateful that you are putting on this training, Jess. It's so, so important that we start to um, not only kind of start the conversation, but know how to start the conversation within these communities and how to do it in a way that's that's uh, kind of therapeutic and not more harmful than it is good. So thank you for doing what you're doing. So the Safe Talk training, if we could talk a little bit more about what individuals can expect when they um, sign up and go to this amazing training. All right. Well, if I can, can I tell you a little background of how I wound up in, in Montana? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> So we had we have just a wonderful Department of Ag in Minnesota. They're very creative, and they've done a lot of really neat things. Uh, they created a stress on the farm to kind of just raise the issue of the challenges and that farmers and ranchers are not alone. And uh, our, our representative here, Meg Moynihan, who works for Department of Ag, she was a the organic lady. And then she transitioned over after her over-the-road truck her husband had to be gone and she had all the responsibility and uh, so she went to department of ag and said hey i've lived this um lots of lots of farmers and ranchers are living this and so she moved into a different area and so over time i i met meg and we developed this um contextualization training for safe talk and uh, we went around the state, did nine workshops in Minnesota. And because of her relationships, we had 100 people on the waiting list because of the quality of the work she did. And um, so Safe Talk, really what we're doing in Butte and, and, and um, in Headwaters FADC really came from our experience with farmers and ranchers in Minnesota. And uh, so it's safe talk as a standardized training. It's for anybody and everybody. So it's not it's not for military or a law enforcement or city folks. It's for anyone and everyone. But what we've done is we've done created a little module at the beginning, a little module at the end that contextualizes it. That we're saying, hey, we understand your culture, your challenges, you know, and. Here's a standardized training. So then we spend three hours going through the standardized training. And then at the end, we say, okay, now what? And then we talk about what to do now that you've been trained. And so we're going to be very specific for um, the area around Butte of what people can do once they're trained. And then we're hoping this will strengthen our mental health and our suicide prevention organizations with people who have lived experience. And that's kind of what we see. You know, 
people are kind of closed to this topic until there's a death. Then everybody wants something right away. And then we get back into life and it kind of fades. And uh, so, you know, we did this in September in Glendive in Glasgow. And we would have liked to have filled up all the workshops. But it's a tough subject. It's a subject that people say, oh, I don't want to go there. But after there's a death and somebody you love, somebody you know, and you think, wow, could something have been done? then people want to do that. So it's really a shame that it takes a death and an impact on a family before people learn the skills. So that's kind of what we're trying to do and uh, get ahead of, you know, the impact on so many people. Wow. Um, Well, I love the piece that you've really shaped and tailored toward the culture, because I think that's, that's one of the barriers that we face a lot too, is that what mental health looks like in agriculture might look a lot different in other cultures um, and, and the signs of, of decreased mental health um, as well. So thank you for, for tailoring it a little bit to the population and just for offering what you offer. Um, It is, it's very, very much appreciated. I want to ask you a little bit about your perspectives of being in the military and how that has really guided your ability to better understand the agricultural population. Cause one of the things that, my foundation does is it's really serves both of those populations, veterans and agriculturalists. And there's so much culture that really is, is very similar within the two and the task oriented um, attitudes. So I, I just would love to hear a little bit about your perspective of both populations and how they've really worked together for you. Oh man, I could talk about that a long time. <laughs> You're exactly right, Kendra. Um, there are so many commonalities some of the finest soldiers and military personnel I've met uh, come from farms and ranches uh, because they know hard work. They, they have a single-minded focus. Uh, my last assignment, I was in a special operations task force, and I was in and out of you know, special operations communities over the years. And uh, I, I just... You know, when you're a chaplain, you hear people's stories. And um, I hear these stories of growing up on a farm and, uh, you know, getting up early and working really hard. And, um, you know, the parallels and and really kind of suffering. Okay, Uh, quite (laughs) frankly, there's this there's this resilience. There's this strength that comes from you know, having to endure hardship that makes you very, very strong, I think. And so then they go into the, um, the SEAL community or the Ranger community, you know, special operations community, the special forces community. And, um, they just make amazing, wonderful, what we call operators, soldiers, sailors, you know, uh, air, air, airmen. And, and so the, the whole value of hard work, but also in many of these organizations, there's, there's a single mindedness. There's, you've got to be able to be calm in extremely dangerous situations. And so the self-reliance, the, the, uh, the confidence to, to undertake and to tackle something that you're not afraid of that, but you learn that through hardship 
on the farm, on the ranch, seeing it in your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, multiple generations, and the family stories, you know, of of the area, the region. Everybody kind of inculcates that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that's what made all of these able to get through the SEAL training, the Green Beret training, you know, all of that. And that's what makes them great leaders. But it's also a liability. Mm-hmm. because growing up where you're 10 miles from the hardball road, that's your driveway. We take care of ourselves. We rely on ourselves because we can't be going into town all the time. You know, we have to figure it out. And so sometimes when people, it was not unusual for me, you know, when I would go out to an outstation to be sitting in the dark with a military person, So they're not not making eye contact, but it's safe. And they begin to tell me a story of something very painful to them. And I, I, you know, they're not looking at me. I'm not looking at them. We're just kind of looking at the stars. And um, I realize it's sacred, but finally they've breached. Their pain has gotten so great. Finally, they're talking to somebody. And I find that the finest of soldiers, the most excellent leaders sometimes are very lonely, you know, because as men also, from the time we're really little, we're always comparing ourselves to one another. You know, as men, who's got the biggest muscles, who's the tallest, whose dad can beat up whose dad, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And um, that competition in all places, even on the farm, you know, hey, I don't want to be the one to lose the family farm after six generations. I don't want to be the one that, you know, has to have an auction and and bankruptcy. There's so much comparison versus the fact that, hey, there's help out there. Let's talk to somebody and get some help. It's not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're weak and, um, incapable. So those are things we see in very young people, but I would sit with commanding officers that would say, Glenn, what do I do? You know, and this doesn't leave, and he knows this doesn't leave the office. I said, well, let's first pray and then let's talk. And um, that combination, you know, of, of, um, of kind of confidentiality really opens things up. So, I mean, I'm kind of rambling now, but uh, we need friends. And I think in in terms of farm and rural uh, relationships, often those that have pastors and are active in their faith, they're a key person who needs to be trained. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times we're just not, it's not our area. And we want to refer right away. But you've got all the relationships. And sometimes crossing that barrier to a trained mental health person is is very hard. But also, we have wise people. We have grandfathers. We have um, custodians at the school. We have teachers and coaches. We do not all need to be clinically trained to listen and know how to help people. And we've kind of forgotten that, I think. And I know that in rural areas, there are wise people 
who will keep a confidence. So these kind of people are the people we're looking for to come to our workshops. We are looking for what we call natural helpers to come to our workshops, to be trained, to say the S word, suicide, and to know right then and there what to do next, you know, and to take that time to listen and who's trusted. Wow. That's what we're wanting to do. That's our goal is, and if, if Jessica, and if you can help us, Kendra, to get the word out that we're looking for wise people. We're not going to make anybody a mental health practitioner <laughs> just to sharpen. And I say this all the time at workshops to sharpen your human being skills because you've got everything you need. This is just a little more specific. Yes. Well, after hearing that, that makes me even more excited to he- to learn more at the training. And it just kind of takes down that wall where just anyone can learn how to listen. You don't have to be a trained mental health professional to be able to help something really kind of opens a doorway where any ordinary human thinks I can, I can make a difference. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and thank you, Jessica, for doing what you're doing and and moving into the egg world and audit like right away, picking the suicide prevention piece up because it's, it's not always easy to, to put on these trainings. And I know it's a lot of work that you've put into it. And, and I just want you to know that I appreciate you doing it right off the bat because you will do great things for the egg world. Um, I can already tell. (laughs) Thank you. And I hope having this training in our area will inspire others to host more and it just will become a topic that's not so uncomfortable for people to address. Yeah, a hundred percent. That is a question that I had too. So individuals who have this training um, will then become certified. Is that correct? Or is there a way, I guess, for for individuals within communities to know that community members have this training, because that might be encouraging for individuals to reach out to that part to that particular person about some of these concerns, whether it be businesses have a sign in the window, or is there ways that um, Safe Talk goes about really letting people know who's trained and who's who's able to be more comfortable with that conversation. That's a great question, Kendra, you know, and so what we do is something very, very, very simple. At the end of our training, we give our our participants a sticker. Perfect. And it says, suicide, you can talk to me. And it's a little tiny sticker. But if we put it, you know, if we're if we're a, if we're a, um, work for a farm commodity and we're out spreading, um, you know, chemicals to to help the land you know, fertilizer, or if we're, we're a seed, you know, a seed deliverer and you have like a little, your own little laptop, you know, or your little, your little tablet. If you have that sticker on the outside, if somebody's thinking of suicide, they'll say, what's that sticker? Um, I, I have it on my computer and I've gone through TSA and I've had guys say, what's that? You know, it's, it's a little sticker, but it really does um, get people talking. So if a teacher has that, if a gun dealership has that, mm-hmm. you know, by the checkout, suicide, you can talk to me. Somebody might say, what is that? Well, I've been trained in just being able to listen to somebody who's having thoughts of suicide. You know, that to me is like that little catalyst. So that's what we do. 
but also uh, people talking about the training just in everyday conversation. Hey, I learned some skills. I hope I don't need to use them, but I feel a lot more confident. And uh, that would be a help. Um, I think if people would talk to Jessica afterwards too, as soon as they do an intervention, they don't have to give any names, but if we could have a little article in the paper, you know, hey, I was training the safe talk and I actually used it and my friend's getting help. So all three of those are ways to let people know uh, that I am trained and I know what to do. And I know what to do when, when people say yes. Perfect. Well, simple is good. I like simple <laughs> and I think it works. So mm -hmm. I love that strategy to let people know. Um, well, I wish so terribly that I could be at the training and pop over, but I actually have the privilege of speaking at a different agricultural conference, but I'm confident that there will probably be more throughout our state. So I'll make my way to one. Jess, do you want to just do one more little tidbit about where to find the information on the training and where it's at and the times and all of that? That would be great. Yeah, I think the easiest place to view all the information is on our website. It is headwatersrcd.org. And if you click on the events and trainings tab, you'll see a little blurb about the Safe Talk Suicide Prevention Workshop and a link to register for both the Butte and Dylan trainings. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for being on my podcast and for doing this training. I appreciate both of you. And it was a great way to start my Friday morning. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kendra. And thanks, Jessica. I look forward to seeing you in person. It's yes, a real privilege. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both. I want to extend my greatest gratitude to my amazing sponsors. My prime sponsors include Joyce Fuel and Feeds, Helena Agri Enterprises, and Torgerson's. My choice sponsors include Stockman Bank, Nutrilix, Wilbur Ellis. My select sponsors include Montana Cattlemen's Association and Hoven Equipment Company. Thank you so much to all my sponsors for making this possible.